Grab your hiking shoes and your backpack and come out on another adventure. This is the Texas Trailhead. For this week's episode, my daughter and I decided to go on a little coastal road trip. Shelter-in-place orders had yet to be administered, and at the time, my wife still had to work at the office, and the store I worked at was closed. The idea was to go visit Lake Corpus Christi State Park, and then kind of just explore from there. What it turned out to be was a fun coastal adventure. I'm also going to talk about my new trail running shoes. Very excited, so stay tuned. Lake Corpus Christi is about two and a half hours away, and check-in wasn't until around two, so we took our time getting up and getting ready. Once the car was packed, we made our way south with a quick Bucky's pit stop on the way for breakfast kolaches, and I needed to get ice for our cooler. The drive down there for us is mostly highway. Not a whole lot of scenery to talk about, but the roads were definitely starting to feel lighter. When we finally arrived to the park, we were fourth in line. I opted to reserve our campsite online, so I had the printout ready to go, which I think she really appreciated. The headquarters were also not fully closed yet, so I went in and picked up some souvenirs. This would all change in the matter of 24 hours. One thing I noticed when we arrived was the sign upon entering that uh, the park that stated the, the they had no vacancies, but driving around there there were a lot of empty campsites, and it was also really windy. The wind coming off of the water wasn't something I was anticipating at all. The people camping next to us, oh man, poor family. <laughs> They opted to sleep in their car because the wind blew down their tent during the afternoon. It was, yeah, I just looked up and all of a sudden the whole thing had fallen over. It was crazy. Ours was, well, I mean, it was set up securely enough, so the tent didn't have any issues with staying down in the wind. I'm currently using the REI Dome 4. I usually recommend doubling up the size of the tent for how many people are going to sleep in them comfortably. So two people use a four-person tent, three people, six-person tent, and so on and so on. We had plenty of room, but this particular model, it's windows on all four sides. You can definitely zip up the doors, but it let a lot of wind through. And it wasn't just the wind, but the flapping noise that the tent made in the wind. Just non-stop flapping. Oh, I'm still having nightmares about it. The moon was really pretty, though. So I would just stare up, and eventually I dozed off. My daughter didn't really have any issues falling asleep, but we both woke up a few times in the middle of the night. She was worried that her swim stuff was going to fall off the table and go missing. So I got up, like a good dad, and secured her goggles, because I guess they would have flown away. The campsite was really grassy, and like I said, it was right on the water, and then there was a little kind of shore that was made 
Um, the water was nice. It wasn't dirty or anything. And so she got to kind of stick her feet in the water and I can just kind of fish on the edge there. Um, we were facing, I guess, west. So we got to see the sunset. So that was really pretty too. Overall, the campsite was was pretty great. Here's a clip from the next morning. This week I'm on location. I'm at Corpus Christi Lake State Park. The morning after arrival, I'm looking around and there aren't very many people here. When we checked in yesterday, it said that there were no vacancies, but I think a lot of people have decided to stay home, which is too bad. This park is pretty spaced out, and my daughter and I are camping right next to the water, which now in hindsight might have been a bad idea. On paper, it was really pretty, but when we got here, we realized the wind was not going to give up. It was relentless and kept both of us up most of the night, but... It's about 8 o'clock in the morning now, and I decided to go for a walk. I'm standing right next to the CCC Pavilion. It was built in the 1930s, and it's right next to the water. There are various little walkways that lead closer to the water with some stonework stairs that get you closer and closer. And I just can't help think how quiet this park has been. Things are starting to change a little bit around here. and A lot of the restaurants and bars in the bigger cities have been forced to shut down. I just wanted to get away. I wanted to get away from a bigger city. I live near Austin, so you can definitely tell that things are starting to feel a little bit different. But Lake Corpus Christi is far away enough where we can feel solitude, but waking up and seeing campers next to us in the afternoon and then waking up and seeing them gone is kind of an eerie feeling. It's like we're the only ones left in this park, even though we know that's not true. So, yeah. The next morning was quiet. Well, except for the wind that was still whooshing into the campsite. I wanted to get a morning picture of the CCC building out the park, but here's the thing. On the map, it's just listed as Old Pavilion. There's a small sign when you enter into the campsite, but even that isn't really a good indicator as to where it is because you have to take an additional left turn to get there. I don't know. It was just kind of confusing to find. The CCC structure is pretty fantastic, though. So just imagine in the 40s and 50s after completion how elegant it must have felt to be at this pavilion overlooking the lake. The building itself is on a fairly sizable plot of land with a sidewalk that takes you closer to the water. A staircase takes you just below the main level and the views are pretty rad. To the side of the building is another kind of dock area that gives more views of the, the vast water. This is a pretty spacious park with plenty of camping options. Just like Inks Lake State Park, the campsites here are all within reach of the water. This is a huge fishing lake also, 
and it has plenty of fish cleaning stations as well. I felt like everyone that was here was really just here to be fishing. I couldn't help but notice, though, that all the campsites had reserved markers, and they were all completely empty. It was all starting to feel like the pandemic was getting, I don't know, more real, more serious. I mean, it was already serious, but now I could sense it. And my awareness for germs was taking hold. Using the restroom at the campsite, I was barely touching anything with my hands. And if I did, I had an extra bottle of soap to wash my hands every time. I fished a little in the morning and made some breakfast and some coffee and just kind of hung out. And then we started making our way to the next coastal destination, Corpus Christi. So when we got there, we drove around downtown Corpus. Well, really just to kill some time. It was as eerie as I expected. During mid-March, there was very little activity on the boardwalk. The only people I saw out there were gathered around the Selena Monument, but it looked like businesses had already shut down. This was March 19th, 2020. We stayed driving by the water, and my daughter mentioned she just wanted to go by Port Aransas. She loves the beach, and she'd been to Port A with her grandparents within the last year, so it was somewhat familiar to her. The road we took to Port A is coincidentally the road you can take to Mustang Island State Park. So I made a quick decision to check out that park on our way. The guest check-in station had already been implemented with the new restrictions to not allow anyone into the visitor center. Just the day before, like I said, I was able to still go into Lake Corpus's visitor center, but in less than 24 hours that had been shut off. Which was too bad. I mean, I, I I totally understand. But they did have lapel pins too, which I collect, and I wasn't able to get one. So I'm going to try to reach out to them once this has subsided a little bit and see if I can pay to have someone send me one. Like I'll send them like a self-addressed envelope or something. Um, Mustang Island is really, really pretty. It's wide open beach to one side and a little more um, Laguna-y on the other. So we opted for the beachfront section. Very reminiscent of Galveston Island State Park. The campsites were either primitive beach camping or RVs and the RV section looked absolutely full. This is also where the bathrooms are and the rinse stations, which were also really, really nice. The day-use parking was fairly empty, and we just really wanted to drive on the beach for a bit, and my daughter wanted to swim. Here I am, sitting on the beach, watching my daughter play in the ocean. I apologize for the sound quality in this clip. Travelog Diary number two. Not sure if you can hear me beyond the waves of the Gulf of Mexico crashing upon my feet we're now at mustang island state park we're on the primitive camping site but we're all the way at the end so there's nobody around us sun is shining the overcast skies have cleared out my daughter's currently jumping up and down in the ocean and there's nobody around us the feeling of solitude continues but Solidarity is ongoing as the head nod to each 
person we see passing by, driving by. The ocean's really nice right now, though. I wish people had access to see it from a place where they weren't surrounded by a lot of people. Overall, Mustang Island was a fun experience. There were these little hut sections for the primitive camping, and they were almost full from what I can remember. The age range of people camping was all across the board, too. People just enjoying the sunlight and solitude. We got some lunch and decided to get a hotel for the night. Beach camping wasn't really an option. For no other reason than just not wanting sand everywhere. When I camp with my daughter, we just bring a lot of stuff. And a lot of stuff to get sand all over. No thanks. Maybe next time. The next day on the way back, I was going to take the long way home and check out the Aransas National Wildlife Refuge. But wouldn't you know, one more state park was in between us and that refuge. And that park is Goose Island State Park. What a drastic change from Mustang Island, as Goose Island is covered mostly in trees. Lovely oaks, and one in particular that I'll get to in just a second. But entering this park was a little different. For one, there was no one in line. And the lady who checked me in was able to go into the headquarters and grab souvenirs for me to buy. So that was awesome. But even though I was the only one in line, there were a ton of people fishing here. But first, a bit of history. Goose Island is another CCC park. The company worked on this park in 1934 and 35. They mostly cleared the land, but they erected a building out of local materials such as oyster shells, and that building's still there today. One crazy piece of unfortunate history involved the company that worked on the park. Company 1801 was originally a mixed-race company, but according to the Texas Parks website in regard to the CCC Parks, and I quote, Company 1801 endured harsh treatment and tragedy after the U.S. reconfigured its formerly mixed enrollment to an all-African-American camp on April 1, 1935. Nearby communities objected, taking their complaints all the way to Vice President Garner. In June, following a murder associated with the camp, the U.S. Army quickly transferred Company 1801 to soil conservation work at Fort Sam Houston in San Antonio. The incident's aftermath and high-level attention resulted in an absolute racial segregation policy for the CCC nationally. Henceforth, all black enrollees served in their states of residence. White and Latinos could serve anywhere in the nation. All state governors were charged with ensuring local community cooperation with the future assignments of the African-American companies, and if no standard work assignments could be found for the companies, they were sent to U.S. Army posts such as Fort Sam Houston or Fort Bliss in El Paso. Man. We'll definitely read more about the CCC Parks on the Texas Parks and Wildlife website. Just search CCC Parks. It's a great uh, interactive online exhibit. Really cool. Alright, so like I was saying, the park is not as beachy as Mustang Island, and it took a huge brunt of Hurricane Harvey. It was definitely still being rebuilt almost two years later. 
you could see remnants of that throughout the coastal community, especially in parts of Port Aransas, but definitely at Goose Island. Part of the park was still closed off, and the sidewalks along the water were in disarray. But tons of trucks here for dropping in their boats, so at least they have traffic from that. There wasn't really much to do here. We drove around the very woody campsites, uh, 57 sites in the trees and 44 sites by the bay, though I don't have exact numbers on how many of those are even still open, uh, by the bay, I mean. Then we made our way to the other main attraction, the Big Tree. It's not actually at the park. You have to exit the park and go down the road a little bit, and then around the corner, and then eventually you come to this sign section for the Big Tree. The Oaksy are really neat, especially being so close to the ocean. But the Big Tree is spectacular. There's a huge oak in New Braunfels in Landa Park. Check it out if you're ever in Central Texas. But this one puts that one to shame. It's one of the largest live oak trees in Texas and the nation. According to the park site, the exact age is unknown, but it's definitely centuries old. It's roped off so you can't play on it, and they have wires and support poles that help it um, stay together. The CCC was responsible for keeping up with this tree, too, in its early days. This tree is quite a sight. If you can't just fight the urge to play on a big tree, there are other pretty sizable oaks on the premises. It's, I don't want to say a park, but there's the sidewalk that goes around the, the, the big tree and there's benches and there's a place where you can donate money. So I guess it's kind of a park. And you're pretty close to water there too. If you just exit and go left, you can park and fish or just stare off into the horizon. So yeah. That was it. That was the last site we saw on our coastal adventure. And they're all great places to visit. And I recommend each of them equally. If you follow the website, then you know how much I love trail runners. If you're new here, then I definitely recommend wearing them over wearing hiking boots for the trails in Texas. Are they for everyone? No, but this is what I prefer. You can decide on your own if you want that extra comfort or not. In this episode, I'll be talking about my two new pairs of trail runners that I just purchased from Solomon. They are the Sense Ride 3 and the XA Pro 3D V8. Stay tuned. While the Sense Ride 3s and the XA Pros are both trail runners per se, they're going to serve me for two different purposes. I purchased the Sense Rides for their intended use, trail running. I wanted something that was going to give me more cushion for when I'm just stretching my legs on the outdoor hike and bike trails that I frequent in between the more rugged terrains. The Sense Ride 2s received a ton of praise for their comfort and flexibility, and that's still a huge part of the new versions. Solomon's really are advanced in their three parts that make up the shoe the outsole, the midsole, and the chassis. 
While I'll be using these for mostly flat terrain, it feels good knowing the outsole is going to feature the Contagrip MA to help with any type of surface I may face. I'll have plenty of confidence with hard and soft surfaces and dry and wet ones too. And while its classification is road running, the lugs on the bottom will do fine and add that extra grip. For the midsole, the OptiVibe technology features different types of foams to help reduce vibrations on your feet, but also give additional comfort. The shoe also features the EndoFit and SenseFit technologies. EndoFit acts as a foot sleeve to hug your foot and help with a more precise fit. SensiFit works alongside to help cradle your feet, giving more snugness. Pair this with the quick lace system and you not only have easy on-off lacing, but an added layer for the warm hug around your feet that this shoe will provide. The overall chassis of the foot is really flexible. You're going to have lightweight debris blocking mesh. They call it Profeel film, but I just call it extra comfortable. I walked and ran almost 10 miles in these right out of the box. It took about two miles for my feet to adjust to all of the footbed differences compared to my normal New Balance running shoes. This was also my first pair of quick lace shoes, so once I dialed that in, my feet felt much better. I definitely had them too tight to start with, but once I loosened them up, these shoes could really shine. That sturdy but breathable mesh on top is really comfortable once you've been out for a few miles. I could definitely feel the breeze coming through the top of my feet. I picked these up because on Solomon's website, they are 4.9 out of 5 stars. When it comes to hiking gear, I'm definitely curious to what the common likes and dislikes are. Most people agreed that these offered amazing comfort and stability. I concur. They win at 280 grams and have an 8mm drop in the sole. I ordered my normal hiking shoe size, which is a 9 in US men's, and they fit right on trend with that. Moving on to the newly released XA Pro 3D V8s. These shoes are offered in a Gore-Tex version, but I don't recommend hiking in waterproof shoes, so I purchased the regular model. These shoes are offered in four different colors, but what I purchased is called Sargasso Sea with Imperial Blue and Angel Falls as accent colors. Fancy. I purchased the X8 Pros to be my primary hiking shoe. I had been alternating between a North Face Trail Runner and an Astral Trail Runner. The North Face shoes were at the end of their life, and the Astrals are great, but really meant for being worn in the water. Not enough cushion for me for normal hiking. The updated version of this shoe boasts being much lighter. 20 grams lighter, to be exact, and you really feel that after a long day of hiking. No foot fatigue from lugging these around at a swift pace. Imagine the difference you'd feel if you were wearing some hefty leather hiking boots. 
The 3D portion of the shoe refers to the 3D chassis, which makes the shoe very flexible to bend with the utmost cushion and stability around your foot. This is most ideal when I use these at Hill Country State Natural Area and was climbing on a bunch of different sizes of limestone up and down. I needed that bend with my foot and to feel secure with each step. Speaking of security, these also feature the Conta Grip outsole, but I'd really love to test these in a slicker environment to see how much grip they really offer. What I will say about the outsole is that while the Conta Grip does ensure some sticky feet, the lugs on the bottom have some gaps. I could definitely tell when I stepped on a sharp rock and missed the lug. It didn't tear the sole, but it's something to be mindful of. The toe cap offered phenomenal protection out on the rocky trail. As I picked up speed on the trail, my feet tend to stay a lot closer to the ground, so hitting rocks with my feet is almost inevitable. The toe cap is front and center on the top and curves around the entire front portion of the shoe. I've put shoes back on the shelf because they either feature soft padding or just don't offer that much protection. This definitely did what it's supposed to do. Staying on the outer portion of the shoe, these also feature a quick lace system, but the lace starts right above your big toe for added support. Once you have them tightened to your preference, you can just tuck the pull tab into the tongue pocket. That goes for the other model as well, and most Solomons for that matter. Inside the shoe, your feet will rest on the molded ortholite insole. I really like the feel of these right off the bat. Nice cushion and comfort for my feet for a 10 plus mile day out on the trail. The breathability of this special foam along with the mesh uppers really made these a perfect shoe for warmer temperatures. These are a bit heavier than the Sense Rides weighing in at 340 grams. They feature an 11mm drop and are also a standard fit. Overall, I'm pretty happy with my first pairs of Solomon trail running shoes. As I wear them a little more, I'll come back and do a follow-up review video. Thanks for viewing. If you enjoyed what you saw, please like this video, and if you're not already, then please subscribe to this channel for more videos. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Texas Trailhead Podcast. If you like what you heard, please let me know by leaving feedback on Apple iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. You can also support this podcast with a small monthly donation to help sustain future episodes. You can find this on anchor.fm and just search the Texas Trailhead. Still looking for more? Click the links below to find the website, Facebook page, and see pictures from the outdoors on my Instagram page. So until next time, grab your backpack, put on your hiking shoes, and let's go out on another adventure. This is the Texas Trailhead.